Would they ever have the guts to do it? Would they ever have the guts to trade Clay Thompson? Welcome to the Damon Bruce Show. It is really good to have you here. Welcome back to the Plus. It's good to see you. I'm happy to report that the chat seems like it is indeed working right now. So we will be having a Club Plus in just a little bit. But man, oh man, I did a home and home last night with Larry Kruger. And he officially um, uh, buried what I thought was the lead because like the last thing he asked me after a, a great conversation was, what do you think the Warriors may be trading Clay Thompson? And I was like, wow, I, I really haven't thought of that because I, I don't think that that's something that they would would necessarily do. Larry said that he heard an interview with Larry Harris and Monty Poole that basically suggested Larry Harris sounded like he was setting up everyone for something big to happen here in the next 24, 48 hours with a, 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 a comprehensively changing the identity of the team level trade. And I, I just don't know how much I, I even, I even want to talk about that, how much I even want to really get into that. Um, I, I just, you know, my, my immediate question is, for who, for what? For who, for what? What would you trade Clay Thompson for? The player that you'd have to get back in return for Clay Thompson would simply have to be so universally agreed upon Warriors fans wouldn't be mad at trading Clay Thompson, and there's no scenario where Warriors fans aren't mad at a Clay Thompson trade. He is beloved around here. But we also are looking at a guy who, as a 33-year-old, is, you know, his on-court age is probably closer to approaching 40 than it is remaining at 30. Like, Clay's been through an awful lot and a ton of postseason games, two bad injuries, and we all know that even though some of his shooting splits at times can look fantastic, he is not the player he used to be. He's not who he used to be defensively. And we know for a fact that he is going to be making some serious money. Uh, $43 million this year. Then he is an unrestricted free agent. And the Warriors are in a situation with him where they wouldn't even get compensation back um, if he just left them in free agency. So what are you going to do? Are you going to have a player who officially walks away for nothing because the Warriors aren't willing to now give Clay the money he's going to expect at the end of this? Is Clay going to go from, hey, I'm making $43 million a year to now I'm comfortable making $20 million a year? I don't think so. That's really not how players go about looking at their careers or contracts. Or, you know, Clay is has got an ego and he's going to say, what about all that time served? But Again, this kind of blew me away when Larry brought it up at the end of our home and home last night on his channel. And it made me think, like, it stayed with me. I thought about it all night. Like, what would you do for Clay Thompson? And one of the first names he threw out was Carl Anthony Towns. I really don't like Carl Anthony Towns. That wouldn't leave me very satisfied. Is he a big? Yes, he is. He's a seven-footer who likes to spend way too much time at the perimeter as far as I'm concerned. But a man who claims to be one of the great shooting bigs of all time on the Warriors, I could see how they would get production out of that, okay? I could see it. I could see it. And the money kind of lines up. The money lines up. You could do Clay for Carl Anthony Towns kind of straight up, but the Minnesota Timberwolves have a two-guard 
and Anthony Edwards. So why are they doing that deal? Are they are they demonstrably better if they do that deal? Even though they've set their team up around Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns, which is one of the weirdest ways to set an NBA team up these days, what would they do there? If you look at how the Warriors have gone about pursuing a few free agents and landing the draft pick that was Brandon Pajemski, look, when it comes to the business of two guards, the Warriors are obviously curious about this position because they went out and they drafted a two guard in Brandon Pajemski. Then they went after Eric Gordon, who is certainly a two guard. There's talk that Chris Paul, you know, he's going to be starting. So if Chris Paul is starting, doesn't Steph Curry kind of bump over to be your two guard, your combo guard? Moses Moody is a two-guard, small forward type player. Gary Payton, a combo guy, and we forget about Gary Payton the second because, you know, he, he was hardly around even when he got traded for last year. Uh, but he's on the team. Lester Canones, and it's just summer league games, but he's looked pretty impressive, two-guard. So does this make Clay Thompson more expendable to the Warriors than maybe they looked at him just a couple of weeks ago? Man, it would be a huge, huge change of direction to come off of Clay Thompson. It would shake the system. It would rattle this town and sports fans in it like very few trades could. But let's be completely honest. Steph isn't going anywhere. Draymond Green obviously now has a new deal and he's not going anywhere. I don't think Andrew Wiggins is going anywhere, which means it could be Clay Thompson's turn if they really are saying, well, we need to do something big to change the DNA of this team, we need to do something different. Maybe Clay's name does come up in those conversations. It's almost too overwhelming to think about. It's like, oh man, Clay Thompson. It's hard to think of more beloved, important players who have given their all to a franchise than Clay Thompson. But it was a little bit of a weird year. You know, it was a year where it felt like every single Golden State Warrior fell out of love with being a Golden State Warrior just a little bit, and maybe it was Jordan Poole in the aftermath of all that, and this will be a put-it-back-together year where everyone feels much, much differently. I don't know. But it is... If if Larry Harris is truly setting everyone up, sort of setting the table for something big to happen, that would be something big to happen. Pascal Siakam... Yeah, would he be available to the Clippers to maybe bring you back a Paul George, Kawhi Leonard? I I don't know. I don't know why the Clippers would necessarily go ahead and make that trade at this point in Clay's career. It's it's a weird, weird time to be Clay Thompson because no one really knows what you got left. No one really knows what you're going to offer the Warriors this upcoming year. Everyone knows that you had a spectacular February with a lot of ho-hum kind of wrapped around it. How much does Clay have left? It's, it's, a, it's a situation that's got to keep the Warriors' front office up a little bit at night. So it, it's uh, it, 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 something big could happen or nothing happens. And this is simply, remember when we talked about trading Clay Thompson for Kevin Love and thank God that didn't happen? Who knows? But Larry has a hunch, Larry Kruger does, that something, if it were to happen, could happen in the next 24, 48 hours. And so when he said that at the end of our conversation last night, instead of just going to bed, I went upstairs and I thought about it for a couple hours. 
There's a part of me that sees the merits in holding on to Clay. There's parts of me that sees the merits in saying goodbye and thank you and bringing him uh, using. Here's the thing. I hate to talk about using Clay Thompson, but that's what you're doing. You're using Clay Thompson to get back an asset that you think will be a, have a better chance to be part of your next championship core than Clay Thompson has a chance to hold on to the memories of the championship core, which is clearly approaching it's well it's closer to the end of its competitive life lifetime than it is at the beginning so man okay clay thompson on the market that's that that just feels like i don't i don't know you know i know that ramona shelburne was talking about hey the warriors could have maybe held on to uh jordan pool and traded him up to portland for dame lillard i i don't know if that fits the money fits if that, that i don't i don't know i just don't know you know, Dame really seems to want to go to Miami. Um, you know, would he have wanted to come to the Warriors, the team that he grew up rooting for as a kid? Maybe, maybe, but that, you know, if anything, you can't blame the Warriors. Blame Dame for taking so long to decide, all right, it's time for me to maybe get out of Portland. I don't know what the package back Miami can put together if the Warriors could have bettered it would Clay Thompson have been a, a, a name to dangle probably not at this point in his career Jordan Poole probably not so you know the whole like oh you could have had Dame Lillard it would have been so easy if you just hadn't done the Jordan Poole to the Washington Wizards trade like I don't, I don't think it's that simple I just don't think it's that simple so this is uh this is the the, the, the are these interesting times we don't know but we're about to find out. And obviously, if the Warriors were to do something like trade Clay Thompson, it would it would be a massive change of direction. It'd be the biggest decision that this team's made in a very, very long time. Um, I want to say thank you so much to our sponsors who are absolutely wonderful and are out there feeding the good people of the world with delicious sandwiches. My man, Ike. Ike has got a sandwich with your name on it. He puts all of his names on his sandwiches because he's proud of them. You will be very, very happy with no matter what you decide to go with. Uh, there is something there for you. If you're one of them vegans, he's even got sandwiches for you of all people. So go ahead, pick yourself up an Ike sandwich. It is available on an app. And I'm just not talking about going to DoorDash or Uber Eats. Like he has his own app. Download the Ike app. Start earning rewards points for free sandwiches. And uh, you'll be happy that you did. You'll be very, very happy that you did. Uh, check out my man, Ike. You probably know an awful lot about him because you've already had the sandwiches. I hope you've already had the cocktail, Black and Whiskey. It is delicious. It is phenomenal. It works neat. It works on the rocks. It works straight up. It works uh, in a cocktail. It is just a fantastic bottle of whiskey at the rice pr right price point. Go ahead and get yourself to BevMo. And if where you buy your liquor doesn't have blackened, ask the guy behind the counter, order some blackened, and I'll come in and I'll buy it because Damon Bruce told me to. And then he'll probably say, well, who's Damon Bruce? And you can say, well, he's one of the best sports talk guys I've ever seen. You go ahead and subscribe to him on YouTube at Damon Bruce Plus or download that podcast. And that's how we all help each other out here. And let me tell you, when you want to help yourself to a delicious cheeseburger, the official burger of the Damon Bruce show is at Uncle Boy's on Balboa and 4th in Inner Richmond, San Francisco, original Uncle Boy's delicious burgers right off the grill. You got the grill marks in them, flame broiled, baby, but a lot better than that other 
flame broiled whopper 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 no 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 this is a real burger real meat real bun real burger and the lumpia is really good. Get yourself some lumpia, get yourself some onion rings, and you're going to be very, very happy. Get it all to go. Head on home. You can sit in their little parklet and enjoy yourself. Uh, Uncle boys, baby, get yourself some today. You'll be happy that you did. Thanks to our sponsors. We love you very, very much. Warriors Summer League saw them get into the win column against the Charlotte Hornets, who didn't look particularly good. Um, Trace Jackson Davis makes his Summer League debut Friday night against the Lakers in Las Vegas. I'm very much looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing more of Lester Quinones and more Brandon Pajemski. And uh, look, the, the, the Warriors got some interesting pieces what do you take away from summer league production i really don't know the league really doesn't know but i'm happy to have basketball back in the little slice that it's served up and i can't wait to see trace jackson davis actually out there and obviously neither can the warriors by the way uh games on sunday for the warriors in vegas on wednesday afternoon as well uh beginning friday night against the lakers the games are on espn espn2 nba tv all your usual suspects will be covering warriors vegas summer league um trace jackson davis has officially inked a four-year contract two years guaranteed on a four-year deal um not a lot of picks at 57 are getting four-year deals put in front of them, just kind of sight unseen. So the Warriors must like him an awful, awful lot. And I know for a fact that he was way higher on their draft board than other teams clearly had him because the rest of the NBA decided we ain't even thinking about drafting him. The Warriors were thinking about drafting him in the first round. And when he just fell to the back end of the second round, they said, well, why not? Why wouldn't we go in and get someone that we really think could fit this team? So they have spoken about the fit that they believe he has for them in just this contract alone. Um, the NBA in-season tournament that no one but Adam Silver wanted to happen is happening this year. I don't know if you saw this story. Uh, the NBA's in-season tournament uh, will have its final four in Las Vegas, December 7th through the 9th. The semifinals and the finals are going to take place in Las Vegas. Uh, per a report, statistics for the tournament will count towards the regular season, except for those in the championship game. And basically, the NBA is rolling this out World Cup style. There's group play, then a knockout round, and then you get your final four. Teams will be assigned to six intra-conference pools of five, not necessarily by division. On designated days during the first six weeks of the regular season, teams will play four group games, one each against the other team in their pool. Everyone plays two at home and two on the road. So not only is this a regular season game, this is going to count to your group stage standings is what will be offered to you a few times in the first six weeks of the year. The winners of each pool and a two team uh, wildcard, two wildcard teams will advance to a single elimination tournament, the knockout round tiebreakers to determine the eight participants, such as point differential. They're still being discussed. The NBA is still ironing out some of the details here, but winners 
of the first tournament, players will be eligible for a half a million dollars each if they're on the championship team for this in-season tournament. Again, that no one asked for. The NBA wants. It feels like this is Adam Silver's pet project. And here are just a few things I have to say about Adam Silver's pet project. Number one, if it adds some intensity to otherwise dismissible, unnoticeable early regular season games, okay, like that's good. I think that that's that's decent. But if it if it for whatever reason affects any sort of minute manipulation or becomes uh, a, a a load management issue because of this nonsensical doesn't really matter. And for honestly, for a half a million dollars, that'll mean something to the guys on the end of the bench. It won't mean anything to who was a starter in the NBA. Half a million dollars is tip money um, in the NBA to guys who are starting. So uh, it's not like they're going to be driven for money, but if it gets you a little extra hop, skip, and step from players because they feel something more is attached to this game or not, that's good. But if for whatever reason you're going to lay off a game the night before because you deem next night's regular season game more important because it's an in-season tournament game, like that that to me doesn't work. The NBA, more than it needs an in-season tournament, needs more time in which to conduct its regular season so more players are available to start 82 games unless they're hurt. That's what this league needs. What does the league need more than anything else? Players to routinely start 82 games again if they ain't hurt. That's what the NBA needs more than anything. So we'll see. We will see. Um... The NBA tournament that no one asked for, no one really wanted, but Adam Silver is coming. Huzzah. Whatever. Um, little baseball for you. The Giants uh, got the Rockies rolling into town on Friday night. It is a dark night for the Giants. Uh, luckily for them, it wasn't a dark series that saw Broomhilda emerge from the shadows against the Seattle Mariners. The Giants were able to salvage the final game, and they did it with only two runs. They're having trouble scoring runs right now. There's no doubt about that. But they beat the Mariners 2-0. Alex Cobb came out. He was the stopper of a four-game losing streak. He has been a uh, very important piece of their rotation. they got to get Di Sclafani out of that rotation. They need another pitcher. They need another hitter. But the Giants, they'd like to end their first half on a positive note. And look, the Rockies give you an opportunity to end a series on a positive note. That's got to be two out of three against the Rockies if you're the Giants and you really want to be taken seriously after the All-Star break. Again, they went on a little bit of a skid, losing 8 of 12 after their 10-game win streak there. And, you know, disappointing for sure. But all I can tell you is this. There's still an awful lot of baseball coming up this summer. And I've always been a big fan of getting your worst week 10-game stretch of the season out of the way before the All-Star break as opposed to after the All-Star break. Because after the All-Star break, let's face it, the price of poker goes up in Major League Baseball. So good to get it behind you. 
hopefully brighter things ahead for the Giants, who, again, they got to pick up this offense again. They need better at-bats. They need more balls in play. They need to stop stranding guys on base. They need to be a little bit more patient. They need to learn how to draw walks again. So maybe a little cooling off time during the All-Star break will be exactly what the Giants need to hit that reset button. Um, A's and Tigers, this game, I believe, is is underway. The A's actually have a chance to sweep a three-game series in Detroit. What are they doing right now? I could actually have this game on my TV, but I don't right now. Let me, uh, let's see. What are the A's doing? They are underway, and they're losing 6 nothing in the top of the fifth. Wah, wah. Oh, A's. Uh, the A's will be in Boston on Friday to wrap up their first half at Fenway. Uh, I saw Tristy Rodriguez write a column about the ownership vote that will determine whether or not the A's are indeed heading to Las Vegas. And this was kind of aggregated from a conversation between Ken Rosenthal and Tim Kawakami on the TK show. And remember, for the A's to be approved to move to Las Vegas, 75% of all owners need to say, okay, let's do this. So Rosenthal talking to Tim when asked about what he's hearing just from rumblings around major league ownership, he basically said, uh, depends on who you talk to different clubs, different owners have different perspectives. Some of the large market clubs from my understanding and the conversations that I've had are not happy with this, not happy that they're still going to be on the revenue sharing lamb, not happy that they're vacating the sixth largest market, not happy with the way the team has been run with the revenue sharing dollars in the last year. So those, those owners will see how vocal they are when this vote is actually taken. I suspect they'll all fall in line as they always do, but maybe not. This is something to watch, offers Ken Rosenthal. I mean, he gives up the game right there. Sure, there might be some scolding or some shame on you, John Fisher, around the table. But when it's all said and done, the owners will get in line and do what they believe is best for another owner, even if they don't even believe in that owner. And Rosenthal went on to say, you have other owners who just want to see this resolved. They think of Vegas as a better market than maybe you or I think of it. And they know that if you get this resolved, then you get Tampa Bay resolved. Then baseball expands by two teams. And who knows, maybe even back to Oakland. And you add those expansion fees. They come in. Everybody's happy. But again, they're going to waive a relocation fee for John Fisher. This is about making money off fees of other billionaires. How come John Fisher gets a free pass? What if they put that back on the table for John? Would John say, no, I don't know. Um, and look, the excuse of owners are tired of this conversation. They just want it resolved. That's so lame. That's so lame. It's basically saying, yeah, I don't care if you get it right or wrong. Just give me your answer. If I'm the city of Oakland and the A's actually do, have Major League Baseball's approval to move to Las Vegas. I am summoning the greatest lawyer in California to do what the city of Cleveland did when the Browns decided to go to Baltimore to become the Ravens. They're saying, you're not taking the team's history with you. You're leaving it with you. You don't take the, the, the mascot. You don't take the colors. You don't take any of the team's history. And so guess what, Vegas? Even though you got the 
A's and John Fisher, you don't have major league history. And what you have is an expansion team that comes with John Fisher instead of just waiting for your expansion team. Again, I have no idea why Las Vegas, who is a thousand percent going to get a baseball team one day, why they would want this son of a bitch coming in to be their owner. Ken Rosenthal goes on to say, there's a wide variety of opinions. The parting line for Rob Manfred, as you know, and everyone else out there knows, is that, hey, we tried. We just couldn't get it done in Oakland. You can make the case that they certainly had a long enough time, Oakland, to get this done or any other area in the Bay Area. But you could also make the case that John Fisher overshot his hand with the city. And if you think you've detailed all the features, uh, very all the failures very well, again, everyone who has covered this story has detailed all the failures of that John Fisher owner group very, very well. Um, it shows this group has kind of bumbled their way for decades. And now here we are. I would say that if I were running this sport, I would want someone other than John Fisher owning that team. Ding, 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 ding. We finally had the correct answer. That's what I would love. That's what I would love to come out of this ownership meeting. Every single owner saying, you know what, John, what we really want is not so much the A's in Las Vegas or even the A's back in Oakland, to be brutally honest about it. What we want is you out of the club. You are thrown out of the country club. Baseball. There's no argument that could possibly be made that baseball's better with John Fisher in it. It's impossible to make that argument. All he does is suck resources from other owners to field a team that isn't competitive by intention, just so he can get his own way. I fucking hate him so much. <laughs> I do. I hate him so much. I hate him so much. Again, the only thing that's going to bring me back into that Coliseum, the only thing that trumps my emotion of hatred of John Fisher is my love of Shohei Otani. And I've even said, I'm, I'm going to go back to the Coliseum one more time for sure to watch Shohei. It feels like um, I was the first on to, hey, this guy's a really good uh, baseball player. I don't know why I was the first in America to discover this, but it feels like in just the last week or two, the rest of America is catching on to the videos that I've been putting out for a few weeks now. Like this is the least covered important story of our sports lifetime, which Shohei Otani's doing. Um, Jeff Passan wrote a story saying this guy just maybe had the single greatest month in the history of baseball. That's how good June was to Shohei Otani. And Jeff Passan writes, in the modern era, again, that started back in 1900, upward of 20,000 men have played Major League Baseball. And over that time, there have been well over 1 million individual months of baseball. And towards the end of June, one person's awe-inspiring day-after-day performance prompted a question that seemed worthy of trying to answer, is Shohei Otani having the best month in the history of Major League Baseball. In over 126 plate appearances, he batted 394 and led the majors in on-base percentage at 492, a slugging percentage of 952, an on-base plus slugging of 
He led uh, Major League Baseball in home runs and in RBIs and in extra base hits and in total bases. And while he was doing all of that at the plate, he also threw 30 and a third sterling innings with a 3.26 ERA, 37 strikeouts, and an opponent slash line of 228, 302, 390, uh, 368. He has strung together incredible performances in the past, but nothing like this. So I'd like to welcome the rest of the world. And obviously, if you're watching from Japan today, Konichiwa, great to have you here. Smash that like button, everyone. Hit that subscribe button. Turn on notifications and never miss a thing. Um, Yeah. Welcome to the party, pals. Welcome. Everyone's finally starting to see what I am seeing with my own two eyes. Don't tell me Babe Ruth would be better when you can't even recognize modern Babe Ruth when he's playing in front of you. Guy's just awe-inspiring. Totally awe-inspiring. What is not awe-inspiring is a 10-year anniversary that is happening today. 10 years ago today, and I was told about this, uh, by a longtime listener named AJ, who says, Damon, we are 10 years out of one of the finest shows you have ever hosted. One of the funniest shows you have ever hosted. It is the 10-year anniversary of KTVU's plane crash coverage at SFO. Now, there's never anything funny about a plane crash. We all know that. But... As we look for the erosion of journalism, I mean, I think that this was one of those all-time moments to, to just prove to you that there are very few adults left in newsrooms, editors who know what they're doing. A lot of you all watched The Wire. Remember the old guy that was sitting in the Baltimore Suns newsroom who they would go to for the correct sentence formation or the right word to use? You know, don't use the word less. Use the word fewer in this instance. Um, you know, the, just the, the old sage of the newsroom whose editor eye spots mistakes from a thousand miles away. 10 years ago, 10 years ago, seen by a producer, written by someone who ever puts anything on a teleprompter, like they actually went with the names of Something Wong, We Too Low, Holy Fook, and Bang Diao as names of the airplane's crew that were responsible for the crash. I mean, come on. Like, some Ting Wong should have sort of given up the game right with that very first name. But maybe, you know, you didn't say it out loud. You just read it. Some Ting Wong, with Wong being one of the most common surnames in the world. Okay. All right. So, you know, if you don't say it out loud and you just read something Wong, you could say that 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 maybe is a real name. But as soon as you say it out loud, a red light should have gone off. We too low. How'd that get past you? 
Holy Fook. Again, did you say any of these out loud? Did you say any of them out loud? Bang, ding, ow. How have you not lived in the Bay Area enough around the Asian community long enough to know that you've never met anyone named Bang? I, I've got a lot of friends who are of Asian persuasion, and none of them are named Bang Ding Ow. Come on. Come on. That was a uh, a dark day for KTVU broadcasts as well. A lot of people are claiming that yesterday was a dark day for Elon Musk and social media as, uh, what, Instagram's checkmate to Twitter was launched called Thread. And look, I signed up. I even posted something, but I, I, I got no followers on Instagram. I never really used Instagram. I, I'm I just started using Thread. I feel like I feel like Danny Glover and Lethal Weapon. I'm too old for this shit. There's a new there's a new social media feed that's supposed to eradicate Twitter every single time you look up, but nothing ever actually does it. Nothing does it. Nothing gets rid of Twitter, even though everyone claims to hate it and they can't stand it and it's toxic and I don't want to be on it and Elon has ruined it and I'm off. No, no, here's the thing. No one leaves. The first place everyone went to say, hey, everyone, I'm on thread was on Twitter. And what is gross is how little any blowback you'd think Elon would feel from the Twitter business model looking worse and worse by the day, limiting views. Basically, I don't know how you could be in the advertising business, and that's the business that he's in. He's selling advertising and limit eyeballs on the product that you're selling. But to say that Elon doesn't care whether Twitter is a financial success or a failure is a massive understatement. You know, maybe he does want to just reprogram this thing for the Republican right and turn it into a cesspool that belittles real journalism. Maybe he wants to do that. Maybe he doesn't want to do that. I don't want to evaluate who Elon Musk is as a person at all. I don't know. He doesn't seem like someone uh, cool. <laughs> but what he is is rich. And rich to the point of he ain't getting poorer. No matter how bad Twitter is going for him, he's got enough money to throw at any problem he would ever want in perpetuity. In late May, Elon Musk reclaimed his position as the world's wealthiest person. Tesla share prices soared nearly 90% in the first five months of 2023. Remember, everyone said, well, Tesla's going to come crashing down. It did not. Tesla stock has climbed another 30% to a 10-month high of $283 a share, which means now Elon is worth nearly $250 billion. Oh, but he's losing his shirt on Twitter with Twitter in his group of assets. He's richer now than ever before. When you have enough money, it seems like the only thing you're allowed to do is fail falling forward. John Fisher, he's allowed to just fail falling forward 
over and over again. Elon Musk might be good at building cars and rockets, but the social media thing feels like a little bit of a disaster. But he's not worried about that any more than you're worried about going and filling up the next tank of gas. Like if you can afford a car, if you have a job, the gas is something you don't even really worry about. Well, gas prices are up. Yeah, but whatever. You just you, this is a got to do it, got to do it. And that's that's the way Elon I think looks at Twitter. He's running it the way he wants to, which is maybe intentionally into the ground, and he's got enough money to burn something that he bought for, what, $44 billion down right to the ground. And, oh, by the way, every single time you hear Twitter is about to drown, boop, pops back up for air. So I don't know if Thread's going to do it. I'll tell you what would do it. Like, if you really did want to start a competitive social media feed to rival Twitter, here's what you would give people. You'd give people what they want. I only want to see tweets from the people that I follow in chronological order. That's it. Stop suggesting, stop using a computer's algorithm to tell me the things you think I might want to see and just show me what I signed up for. That's all anyone I think really wants out of it. And it's the one thing that not even thread gives new people to that site. What do they say? Uh, blue sky, blue ski. I don't know how you pronounce it. Blue sky or blue ski. I don't know. Um, that's still in its beta phase. They're not even letting you sign up. Even if you do, there you sign up, but you're still on a wait list. Like launch that shit. And if it's going to be officially uh, just the things that I follow given to me in the chronological order in which they come out, that, to me, would be the X marks the spot, right? So there you go. We begin the day with a little Clay Thompson anxiety. Would there be a trade? Would the Warriors have the guts to trade Clay Thompson? Woof. Um, that's a big ask, man. That is a big, big bite of the apple to take. So we'll see if they got the guts to do that. Um, and who they would do that for would have to be such a universally agreed upon good move. I, it's going to be hard to sell Warriors fans on. It was a good idea to trade Clay Thompson. Maybe it's a little bit easier now to sell it than before, but that's where today's show started. It ends with Elon and Twitter. It involved John Fisher. Um, it involved Trace Jackson Davis and Summer League and, I, I thought I put together a nice thumbnail for today. Click if you like that thumbnail. I'm starting to learn how to do those too. I'm trying to get Jillian more time off here as CEO of the Plus. Um, so look, for a slow news day, I thought we had a pretty damn good show today. And what I can tell you is that the chat is officially back up and working. I don't know why uh, Restream coughed it up just yesterday, but uh, let's get into it right now, which means it's officially time for a little Club Plus. So let me say thank you very much. If you just turned in today for the podcast, we appreciate you so much. And please do remember that sports don't build character. They reveal it. And like that, whew, he's gone.